Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! <laughs> It was implied. Grip and rip it, baby. <laughs> crap open. Nope. <laughs> crack open a, a crap open a crap. <laughs> crap open a cold up in the blind. <laughs> We're doing great. Don't crap anything open. <laughs> oh, that sounds painful as shit. Speaking what? of painful as shit. <laughs> We're talking about cabinet. Okay, well, that makes it sound like the, watching the movie was painful. No. I meant the deaths were painful. Oh, the in deaths that movie. were grisly. Uh, cabin in the Woods. I never said the full movie. We're, we're talking about the Cabin in the, the Woods. The Cabin in the Woods. There's a the. So many people just call it Cabin, like, yes. when they're talking about it in passing. Just, like, just Cabin? Just Well, okay, when I say so many people, I mean <laughs> the director. I was about to be like, I, what? No one has so ever said this. So many people that you just don't know, Nikki. If someone came up to me like, oh, did you see Cabin? I'd be like... Like a cabin? <laughs> like, I've seen a cabin before. So, <laughs> so basically, you know when directors are, like, talking affectionately about their movie right. and it feels like a pet name? Right. He called it Cabin. That's cute. Yeah. That's way cuter than what I was anticipating. We're talking about Cabin in the Woods. I didn't take notes. But I took enough! Do you want some facts? I always want facts. That, well, this makes one of us. That makes one of us. That makes... I know. I'm not good at things. Crap it open. I can't believe you. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> okay, it was directed by Drew Goddard. It's produced by Joss Whedon, gross, <clears throat> and written by both. Uh, they both worked on Angel and Buffy together. Uh, they they've done a ton of stuff. I'm not gonna. They're we, biffles. You know them. They buds. Whatever. Um, they described this movie as an attempt to revitalize the slasher genre, which interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they also said it was a critical satire on torture porn. I do have a thing on that. I, I thought maybe. I was like, I hate that. So I'm glad that this is a satire. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, that is mm-hmm. not my favorite genre. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, okay. I did this so out of order than what I usually do. The budget was $30 million. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much it made? You probably do. I feel like you usually know, but you know how much it made? 70 million. You're really close. 66 million. Oh, I got so close. That's, the, that's the closest I've ever That's the closest you've ever gotten besides that time that you knew the exact answer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is, yeah. So that was worldwide. Um, Peter Deming did the cinematography. He has done a ton of work with like Sam Raimi, David Lynch, Wes Craven, a ton of people. He's done like all the classic, like Scream, just like a ton of stuff. So and if you know it, he probably worked on it. Like if it's a classic horror film, he was uh, probably involved. Uh, the music was by David Julian. Julian? I don't know. Sure. Julian? I don't know. But uh, he did the music. Julian. Julian? There we go. <laughs> but he also did the music for, or he scored the movie for, guess what? The Descent. Oh, okay. I was like, I will never guess. guess. The Descent. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. All so right. we love The Descent. We love The Descent. It's good shit. Did we give that five primal screams? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Pretty sure. If it, was, if, if it wasn't five, it was four and a half. Yeah. So, and that's basically why. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really all I had on notes. I mean, because it was just a buck wild film and I didn't want to talk about Charles Whedon all that much, to be honest with you. So I yeah. was like, um. Yeah. 
for anyone that just isn't super aware, I'm going to keep this short. Uh, there are people that have come out, <clears throat> primarily women that have worked with him and said like he is uh, toxic on set. And then his ex-wife came out, wrote a letter that ended up being published, I think, in the rap. And basically said, like, he gaslit me when he cheated on me for 15 years. And he, like, she has like, complex PTSD that she's been working through because she was gaslit for 15 years. Yikes. And then his statement from his, like, people or whatever at the bottom of the story was mm-hmm. also gaslighting. In that it was like he does not have any comment on a story that is filled with inaccuracies and misrepresentations. And he's not commenting out of respect for his family and the safety of his children. And I was like, literally all you're doing is saying if you can believe something that's riddled with inaccuracies and if she's irresponsible enough to tell it and endanger our children. So like, obviously we don't know what happened, but I believe women. Yep. (laughs) And I believe a lot of people that have come forward and said that they've had very bad experiences working with him. And I'm endlessly a fan of Firefly, but I am not a fan of Joss Whedon. Right. And it really bumps me out that this is his project. Yep. I was like... (laughs) Good movie. Fuck that man. So mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm not going to work too hard on these facts because I don't give a fuck about this person. Sorry, but not sorry. Um, and that, so those are my facts. Um, it's just such a wild movie that I was like, we don't need to do too many facts. Let's just talk about how wild this movie is. Oh, boy. It's <laughs> Oh, God. That means I have to give a one sentence summary about this movie. Which, yes. Um, <sighs> character trope teens, mm-hmm. young adults. Go to a cabin and are manipulated into being a sacrifice. That was a really, yeah. That was not bad. I mean, this movie just has so much to it. I was like, I'm not going to be able to. (laughs) I have never seen this. Just so, I mean, a lot of our friends already know. But this was my first time watching it. So I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was very much like, huh? (laughs) So if I'm flustered, it's because I have not taken this movie in multiple times this is certainly a lot for my little brain today this is my fourth trip through so yeah oh god okay Mm -hmm. well i'm also on island time just so everyone knows i'm on vacation so Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm relaxed as hell today nice (laughs) so if i seem tired i'm not i'm just on island time (laughs) baby she's just so relaxed you can hear it you can hear it in my voice i'm just relaxed (laughs) all right What's the real actual summary? Like oh. plot or whatever. Okay. So this is actually kind of interesting because when they were marketing the movie, mm-hmm. they wanted people to have as little information as possible. Basically, it was five young adults mm-hmm. go to a cabin. Nothing good happens. That's I, almost word for word what it was. Really? Yeah. Because I remember when the stuff came out and I, I thought that. I was like, oh, eh, another, that's probably why I haven't seen it because I was like, another cabin movie, whatever. And they wanted the twist to be a a surprise. They didn't want to give away too much because they wanted that genuine, like, being lured in by the common tropes, being lured in by the archetypes, and, like, this just genre, like, by the book movie, and then be fucked. (laughs) They wanted that reaction and that confusion and that surprise. And so when they were doing their, like, press tours and whatever, they very purposefully didn't give much away. And so I'm reading all these articles that are from 2012, like, yeah. when it came out. And so many of them are like, I am dead serious. If you haven't watched it yet, do not read the rest of this article because I don't want to spoil it for you because it's good <laughs> enough that I don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, my God. And at least three articles had, like, seriously, and even on TV Tropes, usually it'll be like, okay, well, like, there are going to be spoilers in here. Right. But on TV Tropes, it was like, literally, you can't read any of these tropes. 
if you haven't seen the movie yet, go watch it. <laughs> it's so wild. Yeah. I, my, I hope that someone listens to... Okay, I'll do the same thing. If you're mm-hmm. listening to this and you haven't seen it, don't. Don't listen to this yet. Oh. Come back because that movie's so fucking weird. If you think it's a movie just about a normal old cabin in the woods, fucking <laughs> take a minute and go watch it. Take a minute, go watch it. As someone who has just seen it for the first time, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> what? You can't. <laughs> they did. Um, that's great. So I did actually pull a summary from uh, Rotten Tomatoes yeah. that does give you more of a look behind more the curtain. A, yeah. So this is your official spoiler warning. Yeah. If you haven't seen you- it, this is going to spoil the trick. Get out of here. Okay. So when five college friends arrive at a remote forest cabin for a little vacation, little do they expect the horrors that await them. One by one, the youths fall victim to backwood zombies. But there's another factor at play. Two scientists are manipulating the ghoulish goings-on. But even as the body count rises, there is yet more at work than meets the eye. Oh my god. I mean that, yeah, that's good. And it still doesn't give away all of it. I was going to say, it still doesn't quite give everything away, because... Yeah, okay. Wow. Just mm-hmm. I'm just excited to hear Nerd Corner about this cuz I'm like what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> so, I'm ready. <laughs> this Nerd Corner is extra nerdy AP English style. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Let's start with the thesis. The Cabin in the Woods melds pastiche and satire to pay homage to the horror genre while critiquing the shortfalls of the slasher subgenre. Hey. So we'll start with the first part. Yeah. Pastiche. It is a form of intertextuality. And that bit, intertextuality, is hugely important to, like, understanding where Cabin in the Woods fits in, among other horror films. And I saw this word, and I was like, I remember this? But I still had to Google it. It was weird. I remember and this, too. Continue, though. It's for sure one of those words that you don't know you know, or, like, you know the concept, but you don't recognize the name, or you don't recognize that it's a concept that is named. You just recognize it in your gut, you know? Yeah. Anyway, intertextuality is, according to Kelly Bryan on study.com, the point where two works of art overlap. Another way of thinking about intertextuality is the way in which works of art purposefully or accidentally connect and intersect. That's really fucking broad. So then we look at forms of intertextuality. Is that also what pastiche is? Mm-hmm. So. Okay. I was like, wait, hold on. Yeah. This is a new word that we brought in. So pastiche is a form of intersectionality or uh, sorry, intertextuality, oh, okay. a subtype. So first there's illusion. A-L-L, not I-L. Anyway. Um, so illusion is the intentional reference to another work of art or film, painting, novel, whatever. So like Easter eggs in Disney or Marvel movie, Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. I would rather I watch love a the Marvel, Marvel movie. <laughs> you, you see that good Marvel movie? They really hit them I love with the marbles, <laughs> right in the eye, right in the eyes. <laughs> So illusion is the reference to another work. So, you know, those like Easter eggs mm-hmm. of like, oh, do you see Captain America's shield in the end of this one? That's an illusion because right. it's referencing another work without copying it. Yeah. Pastiche is the imitation style. So like cinematography or screen work. Okay. I think, and I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I'll probably have to look it up. I feel like I know this word because mm-hmm. I learned it in costume history. Pastiche is the word for the fake beards that they wore in ancient Egypt. Oh, okay. When you said it was an illusion, and I was like, that could make sense. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive that was the name of it because they they wore those like fake, almost like they were like metal beards that they would wear. Fascinating. They're called pastiche. I could be wrong. I'll look it up. If I'm wrong, don't come for me. I it's been years and years since I studied costume history. From what I read, the root of this one was like Italian and French, where it was about like 
a meat pie in Italian or something, and then in French it was about something else. I didn't go super deep into that because <laughs> I was like, I do not have the time. Yeah, it's probably called something else. <laughs> That's cool though. Um, I got distracted. Sorry. Oh, okay. How dare you say interesting things? So, Stranger Things is this big old pastiche of classics 80 movies, mm-hmm. like E.T., Stand By Me, and Poltergeist. And if you like portraiture, which I know you do. I do. There was this article I saw that are really cool stills from movies that are recreations of famous paintings. <gasps> and so... that too! What's that guy that has the really artsy movies that I've only seen Isle of Dogs? Wes Anderson. Oh, what's it? Out of all the ones! I know. I love that. Well, there's a still from one of his movies. I think it's like Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah, there's a still where someone's like in a lighthouse or something and she has binoculars. Mm -hmm. That's um, a pastiche of a painting. Oh. Yeah. I love that. It's really fucking cool. So you've got like classic art to filmic versions. Like there's a lot of different ways that you can do pastiche. Mm -hmm. But a crucial part of pastiche is that it's not lampooning or mocking the original work like Mm -hmm. a parody does. So pastiche may be comedic, it may gently poke fun, but at its heart, it's about honoring and celebrating the original work and or artist. Mm -hmm. If you're wanting a brutal dissection through imitation, you're looking for parody. So Vampires Suck was a parody of Twilight, Spaceballs is a parody of Star Wars, and Austin Powers is a parody of James Bond. Oh, I love Austin Hey, one of the people that did this movie works on Austin Powers. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was the... I don't know. It was somebody. (laughs) But they did. There's also the category of spoof, which is usually, like, broader mm-hmm. in that it spoofs a genre, not a specific work. Right. So, like, Scary Movie is a spoof of horror, yeah. not a specific parody. So where does this leave satire? Because I did mention satire. Well, satire is also a form of, like, intertextuality in that you need to be familiar with the original work in order to understand it. Yeah. And satire is used to make a specific political point or social critique. And one of the mm-hmm. f- most famous literary examples of satire is Jonathan Swift's 1729 essay. Get ready for this. That time period can't be real. <clears throat> a modest proposal for preventing the children of poor people from being a burden to their parents or country and for making them beneficial to the public. Most people just call it a modest proposal. Woo! Yeah. And it's become like shorthand for like this very straight-faced satire. Yeah. So this was obviously not the first satire. That honor goes back to the Romans. Good job, Roman. (laughs) Regardless, A Modest Proposal starts as a seemingly sincere exploration of the struggles of poor families and Mm -hmm. then takes a hard left turn into, we should eat babies. Oh, what? Yeah. So (laughs) summarized eloquently by Wikipedia, direct quote, the essay suggests that the impoverished Irish might ease their economic troubles by selling their children as food to rich gentlemen and ladies. The satirical hyperbole mocked heartless attitudes toward the poor as well as the British policy toward the Irish in general. I can't. You so, could have said anything, and uh-huh. babies was not one of the choices I had in my head. That's for sure. Yeah. So it like really starts with like this. This is like what they go through. This is the economic troubles, and then he's like, you know, if they are properly fed and nourished, they could really be good in like not ratatouille is not what he says, but he like names two different food dishes, and he's like they could be cooked or broiled or even fried and end up really good in like ragu. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it takes a wild turn. And I studied this work in undergrad. I took a class on comedy and satire and like it was about short form and long form satirical works. That's too many ways to cook a baby. Too many ways to cook a baby. Indeed. Anyway, (laughs) examples of satire in film include Thank You for Smoking, Fight Club, and Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Wearing and Love the Bomb. Oh, okay. 
And I personally feel like satire is thrown around with the same abandon as irony, and I'm equally hesitant to classify anything as satire without digging deeper into it. You know what? It. This is my irony, because I'm also like, I don't know. Is it satire? I don't... I, I, People are like, oh, I love this. This is so, good satire. And I'm like, mm, yes. Sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're about to dig deeper into that oh so that boy. we can both maybe feel better about it. Teach me. <laughs> okay, so the Oxford English Dictionary says that satire is the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. You must be in hell. Irony's in the definition. I know. I read this and I was like, you are mocking me. They were like, now learn what irony means, idiot. <laughs> No, Dang. I truly, I saw you laughing and I was like, she knows, she knows, she knows my I sins. Like, I couldn't resist, I couldn't resist. I was like, oh no. So with that in mind, not my multiple ironic sins, but with the definition of satire in mind, I'm going to jump to some of the words from other folks that weighed in on the issue that I was wondering is, is this satire? Yeah. Is Cabin in the Woods satire? Right. Because I think that it has a very like firm definition and that right. it has to meet criteria in order to be considered, considered satire. But I also might be a satire and irony purist, and I don't like that about myself. So <laughs> this is something that I'm like coming to grips with. At least anyway. you're a purist. I don't even know what it means. So eh, eh, maybe I'm a prudist about it, where I'm just like I don't want to touch it because I don't know. <laughs> I'm like this movie was good. <laughs> yes. So I read a blog by someone named Joanna Parapinski, and um, I think they're a writer of like uh, dark fiction. Mm. That's like what the top of their blogs. Anyway, they had a really cool article. But, direct quote, Up until now, the movie has been an entertaining play on the slasher formula. The men orchestrating it stand in for both the filmmakers and the viewers, giving us a satirical lens through which to not only watch a horror movie, but also to see it through to its structure and understand the skeleton of the beast. As the formula further unravels, we find ourselves with a horror movie that is commenting on horror movies, while at the same time deconstructing itself as a horror movie. (sighs) Yeah. So it's like a box in a box in a box. Yeah. A box looking at itself being in a box in a box. Yeah. <sighs> it's fucking wild. And I would love to just like read Parapinski's entire article out loud. Probably not the best use of our time, Probably but it's not. it has like this very hopeful energy about it. So basically like Parapinski says that while the old gods said that they like the old gods that they're supposed to appease mm-hmm. can be read as like a set of tropes that horror is built upon. Right. It can also stand for traditions that stand in the way of actual progress. Right. So this movie can be a gentle critique of tired tropes, but it can also be a larger societal critique that pushes back against nihilism. Because one would be tempted to read Marty as like a, we're doomed, whatever, but really what he's saying in the end is, we're so fucked as a species, let's stop destroying each other. Right. So like that last moment where, if you haven't seen it yet, this isn't going to make sense. <laughs> Sorry. But after, you know, Dana tries to right. shoot him, and then he lets a werewolf get her, and then they both smoke a blunt as the world's ending, and he says to her... <laughs> That's definitely how I took it. I wasn't like, oh, he's so negative. I was like, no. oh, honestly, you're right. Like, yeah. I was like, let someone else do it. Like, let someone else fuck it up. I'm yeah. tired. <laughs> and so I feel like this movie gives room for, like, so many readings, because someone could see it as, like, this lazy nihilism Mm -hmm. but then we see it as like you're right like we're really doing some bad things and like what does humanity mean if we have to sacrifice each other right yeah oh so yeah that's why i love this movie so much (laughs) and there are so many readings and then i also read a little bit of a reddit thread uh not much i try not to venture too much into reddit it's crazy (laughs) but reddit user faco prime Says, Thank you, Baker Prime. <laughs> I have no idea how to say it. 
It is a love letter to the horror community and its fans as it admonishes the industry for perpetuating the cycle of nonsensical themes and memes in horror films and then repurposes those same memes and themes into an overarching meta-narrative that encompasses all of horror. It is satirical, farcical, farcical, farcical? Yeah, Not farcical. <laughs> sure isn't farcical. What? <laughs> I can't. Listen. <laughs> I struggled. Farcical? <laughs> I questioned myself. You did. It is satirical, farcical, inventive, and revelatory. I have no problems with revelatory. You had you were fine. <laughs> that was Forkical. very good. Forkical. <laughs> anyway. Oh, God. So those are just some people saying, like, yes, mm-hmm. this is brilliant satire. Yes, this is satire. Yeah. And, like, if you want, I don't know, I want to start, like, at the bottom and build up from it. It's, like, at the most basic level, it is a horror movie that, through humor, critiques the overdone tropes common to the genre, particularly the slasher or subgenre. Right. It takes trope after trope and calls it out or subverts it or deconstructs it for the audience. But is it doing more than that? Because to fit the traditional definition of satire, it should critique society or critique a social injustice. Is it doing that? And I think that's up to interpretation. And this is where I'll turn to the words of the co-direct, nope, director and co-writer, Drew Goddard. So in an interview, sorry, I'm like gesticulating and Nikki looked concerned. <laughs> I saw hands moving and I was like, oh no, I saw her throwing hands. Okay. So, um, ba-dum, ba-dum. so in an interview with Filmmaker Magazine, uh, the interviewer asked, as much as Cabin is a love letter and an homage to the horror film, there's also an implicit critique of the subgenre going on here. Are there aspects of horror films that you wanted Cabin to address and critique? In response, he said, It's more critique of society. The question that is interesting to me is, why do we feel the need to marginalize youth on screen? Why do we feel this need to idealize youth and then slaughter them? What is it about that that is so satisfying to us as viewers? And it's not just in movies, it happens in society. As I get older, I notice it more. We take youth, we build it up to be this great thing, we package it and say, Everyone in society fits into one of these boxes, and then we destroy it. We rip it down. That's been happening forever, you know? We talk about that in Cabin, that this is not new. There's a timeless quality to our deconstruction, nope, to our destruction of youth. That's very interesting to me. I feel Cabin is much more a critique of that, of those things that the horror movie suggests are deep within us as people. To me, that's fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. So that, you know, if that's a broad societal critique, I feel comfortable calling it satire. I also feel like, as usual, there are a lot of potential readings. (laughs) Right. I think there's something to be said for the fact that the majority of the people controlling the fates of others in the control room are white men. Right, (laughs) yeah. offering restricted choices isn't actually giving someone autonomy. So I feel like there are a lot of different levels, a lot of ways to read it. But regardless, that's satire in society. Whew. Yeah. That's a wild one. It's like one of those ones that, because usually when we do these, I'm like, you know, I really picked up on that. That's really interesting. This one's so wild and weird <laughs> that I was like, I cannot. Like, I was like, my brain has to only focus on what's happening. And then I was like, I can't wait to hear what Kate says so I can be like, I'll watch it again with that in mind. <laughs> like, it's, it's just so much happening. There's but that so makes much. a lot of sense. Like, mm-hmm. now that you've said it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can go back. Mm-hmm. And, like, like, the part where... Spoiler alert again, Scorny Weaver is in this. Um, My queen. <laughs> no, I love, I heard her voice immediately and I went, I well, like, that's Sigourney. Yep. Um, we're there's that part basis. where they're in the, the the fucking basement scary place and he's like, what did we do? Why us? And she's like, you're young. And I was like, ah! Like she says something like that along mm-hmm. those lines of like, you youth, like you just, you're young. Yeah. And I was like, that sucks. Like, <laughs> but I need to watch it again with all of these things in mind to really mm-hmm. take it in. 
that's very interesting. So yes, satire. It's mm-hmm. a satire, right? We can Yeah. 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 Okay. I really just cool. had to like have it tied to a broad societal oh, yeah. critique in order to say it's satire. Otherwise it's just right. really funny and it's kind of poking at shit. But to me, right. satire has to be about like a broader point. Right. Then it's just, not like, just like horror movies sometimes do these things. Yeah. It's like, no more is here. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. Cool. Now it's time to talk about horror, and there's just so much. <laughs> oh my god, there's so much. Okay. I, okay, this is where I usually open my little notebook and I'm like, here's all the things I noticed. I did not take notes, okay? None. I didn't open my stupid notebook once because I was watching this, just glued to it, like, what? What? I was so taken aback (laughs) by all of it. I just, so what what I'm saying is I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have no like wild things to say about the lighting and all because the person who did the cinematography does so many amazing classic horror movies mm-hmm. that I read that and I went boy I can't wait to watch it again and pick up on some of those things I got nothing except that I really liked this movie mm-hmm. I do really like this movie I thought it was great because I did I was watching it and I was just like oh classic like horror film I knew it wasn't just because, like, I, I mean, it came out in, what, 2012? Yes. I knew there was a twist. I was well aware. I kind of had a vibe of, like, what was going to happen. I just didn't know to what extent. So I was sort of like, okay, I know sort of what's going on here. But they get to this point where all of a sudden it all becomes just a little more weird and clear. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Was it the um, eagle? It was the eagle. Ugh. Oh, my God. So for people who haven't seen it they're it's just they're just like college kids and they're all really it's funny because they're supposed to be like these cliches they're supposed to be archetypes right so they're all supposed to be an archetype but what's funny and i hope it's on purpose is that they're all like this archetype but they have more to them they have more depth and more they all do like the girl who's supposed to be the slut or the whole all those you know mm-hmm. she's so funny she's pre-med she's pre-med she's, she's smart she's really kind and like yeah she also has like some moments where she dances really sexy and she makes out with that wolf which is hilarious oh, i'll boy, get that to that scene. but i it didn't ma- like i was like okay so like she's so funny mm-hmm. there is a part where she's holding textbooks and he this is, is my like favorite part of the movie this is so funny she's like holding textbooks and he's and her boyfriend is just like what do you got like what is this and she like throws it or like puts it in his arms and goes i learned it from watching you and she runs away he's like what are these and she's like i know and he's like no who told you about these who gave you these yeah. <laughs> and then she goes i learned it from watching you runs out of the room slams the door and i fucking cackled i laughed so hard Cause she's so funny. Like she just had so much depth and they all do Mm -hmm. like the, like the guy, you know, who's supposed to be this, uh, jock, Chris Hemsworth. Um, right. It's Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Well, I know it's the good Chris or one of the good Chris's. I know there's a bad Chris. There's a bad Chris. He's the worst. We're not going to say his name. Mm -mm. Um, I'll let you guess which one's the (laughs) best. I didn't even say it. I just mouthed it. But he's, he's great because like, He's this jock, like, yeah, whatever. But, like, he really loves, like, his girlfriend. He really does love her. And, like, he's funny. He's a social major. Yeah. And he's also just, he's very sweet. He makes, like, a very big sacrifice for, yeah. like, the group. And he doesn't really even have to think about it. Like, he knows he's like, I, I, I can do this. I'll do it. And if I can't do it, like, it was worth it to try. Mm-hmm. A very sweet guy. And yeah. they all have these moments of just being 
something more than what they're supposed to be. And they even mention that at the end when Sigourney is like, oh, she's going through all the cliche trope things. She's like, and then the virgin. And she goes, the virgin? She goes, we work with what we have. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because it's like, oh, that's true. Because like they are all sort of this stereotype, but they're all so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that. I thought it was great. And back to the point I was trying to make of things get wild. Mm. Because they're, you know, doing the cliche thing where they go to a cabin and they're in their little van and they, they, they encounter the creepy guy at the gas station. Mordecai. Who's also very funny. We'll talk about that later. Oh, my God. And then they go my through this. Oh, my God. <laughs> they go through this mountain tunnel and I was like, cool. Like, that's really cool. Like, oh, yeah, they're going to go to this cabin. And then all of a sudden they cut to this shot of an eagle. And in my head I went that's weird that's a weird shot and i was like oh it's kind of cheesy with this eagle flying so dramatic and then the eagle just like <laughs> like fucking smacks into a force field and i was like i'm sorry <laughs> excuse <laughs> and that's where i just put my notebook down and went there's no point nothing's gonna get <laughs> nothing's gonna get written in this because uh-huh <laughs> i did like I did like the full-on Tim Allen grunt. I was like, huh? Like, <laughs> I couldn't. So that's what I took away. Is like, I have thoughts, but I'm going to let you go. And then I'll just jump in when I can. Because <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> so one of my favorite things, you got into this with the archetypes, where it's like they're chosen to represent these archetypes mm-hmm. that they don't fit in the box of. They don't. They, like, maybe have, like, a pinky that's like, yeah, I could be seen as this, right. but I'm also this complex person. And so it's not just like, oh, she's more than a slut. No, like, first of all, no slut-shaving. Second no of all, slut-shaving. it's also just, like, not a facet of her personality no. that is abundantly clear to it anyone. It does not, no. Like, if I saw her, I wouldn't be like, oh, my God. Like, she, I'd be like, okay. Yeah. But a lovely, like, lovely woman. Like <laughs> So you realize as you go that they have been forced into adopting these personas. And so, like... They convinced her through something to dye her hair blonde. And then the and blonde. And they, they put a like poison basically in the yeah. dye that will mind control her to become dumber. They yeah. were like, we are going to make her a dumb blonde slut. And to yeah. do that, she is going to dye her hair blonde. In the bleach and in the dye, there's going to be a compound that decreases her cognition. Yep. And so, like, that's happening. And then you see Kurt, the boyfriend, who's the jock. Right. And he comes in and he's, like, joking around, very jovial. He's very kind to Dana. He's such a And he's giving her, like, advice on mm-hmm. one of her classes and saying, oh, yeah. like, oh, you know, like, the professor hasn't read this mm-hmm. and he teaches from this textbook. But if you read this out loud, then he'll think you're super, like, smart and Right. Like, profound. he'll, yeah. And so, like, he's clearly very intelligent. So he's not the dumb he jock. Also- does that moment which and is my favorite when he goes pants. and you're not wearing pants yep. which is so funny because i love that they didn't draw attention to it. it wasn't like oh she's sexy and everyone it was like I, you're not wearing pants fine yep. and he just like walks away and yep. i'm like all right cool <laughs> and then there was an article that i read that i thought was really interesting i'll put it in the show notes mm-hmm. but it said that like all of them are their own people and then they're forced into a trope except mm-hmm. for marty because he starts as the trope and then expands into a broader person because right. he can't be controlled restarts as like the burnout stoner dude right. and he pulls up in this like station wagon <gasps> with a giant bong that is in the shape Absolutely of a incredible. thermos and it's later like- he like clonks someone real good with that bong but he, he shows up with that thing and just like whoop, compacts it down and i was like you that is instantly when i was like this man is more than what you because mm-hmm. i was like what a genius yes 
And uh, so, yeah, that's great. Cause he is the only one that is very much like, Oh yeah, he's bought it. They kind of like, don't give him more right away. And until, yeah. they have him kind of like, they have him always smoking or mm-hmm. rolling a joint. And then you see him kind of like ranting about politics and puppeteers and like surveillance and stuff. Right. But as things get weirder, he starts to make more and more sense. Yeah. And you find out that they dosed his weed, but they missed the stash that he was smoking on. And right. so they were like, they don't find that out until later in the movie. I am going to do a quick recap for anyone that has ignored our pleas and is not watching the movie. Yes, five people go to a cabin in the woods. But then they are at the same time being manipulated into performing these archetype functions, yeah. roles, whatever, because there are these people downstairs in like beneath the house right. that are controllers and they are trying to manage a sacrifice to appease ancient gods. And right. as I say this, I'm like, huh? it sounds wild. And so you see like through small hints and like drops that this is something that yearly has to happen across mm-hmm. the globe and every country gets to try. To, but yeah. so far, like Sweden fell or whatever, like they couldn't do it. And so I it's a favorite moment from this movie. Is it when he's yelling fuck to. you at the little Japanese yes. girls? I was going to talk about that one. <laughs> we'll get there. So, I, I had to watch it like five times. When like early in the movie, it's established that the only, <laughs> I'm still laughing about it, that the only two countries that haven't failed yet are Japan and the U.S., Right. And so they are, you know, shitting on the Japanese. They're like, oh, well, we'll do better, right. whatever. And so basically you understand that whatever these controllers are doing is very important to them mm-hmm. and that it's the stakes are getting higher as the time goes by. Yeah. And so they have all these plans and it basically comes down to they will do everything they need to to lure them there and to get them into the basement or the cellar but everything has to be under their own, quote, free will. They have to right. make the choice to transgress. So they have to be given the warning by the harbinger. Right. who tells them, like, turn back, and they have to choose to ignore it. Right. And then they have to choose to go in the cellar. And then the cellar is filled with all of these wild things, which come back later. Right. But there's, like, a ballerina in a music box. There's mm. probably a cursed necklace. There's, like, this puzzle ball. There's just a ton of shit. So many things. And what ends up happening is that they're all picking these things up and then Dana starts reading the diary out loud. And then she reads Latin things, which is another trope. Never read Latin out loud. Never. And that chooses the monsters that are supposed to kill them so that they can fulfill the sacrifice of the five archetypal youth being sacrificed to these old gods. But then the plans start to fall apart because, like... The stoner wasn't dosed properly, and they don't fit into these archetypes quite as well as they need to. Things just, like, don't go well. And also, like, it's great because, like, you see this, like, complicit – what am I trying to say? Like, complacency. Yes. You see this complacency from the employees underneath the cabin who are sort of like, ah, we do this every Mm -hmm. year. Like, so things keep getting forgotten. Mm -hmm. Why – like, they – the whole thing is like as soon as they go through the tunnel in the mountain, there's supposed to be a cave in that they, you know, the people, the archetypes, like they don't see it, um, but it's supposed to happen mm-hmm. and it doesn't. So they're driving and he's just like, oh yeah, whatever. And then all of a sudden he goes, shit, oh God. <laughs> like, yep. So they almost get away. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love seeing like, I love seeing employees who are bad at their job and their job is to like not let the world end. Yep. <laughs> like, come on. And they're so... They're so fine. They're just like, oh, whatever. It's in my, it's my job. And this is the parts of like seeing the people in the office orchestrate like hellish experiences. Truly, the funniest moments in the movie. It really is because they are just like you see them kind of like in one of those little 
golf carts inside driving away from someone the guy that can't put his coffee lid on you see the intern that's really awkward oh my god they they have this moment in the movie that was one of my favorite moments where things have pretty much gone well like they figured out what's gonna happen which is another thing that's really funny they have a betting pool Mm -hmm. to see like what people will pick up in each department gets to bet and Mm -hmm. they're always like congrats maintenance you won like because they picked up the journal and it was something it was like angry it was specifically the backwoods hillbilly zombie, zombie cannibal family cannibal family it was like very because one girl walks up and she's like i had zombies too and, like, and they're totally like oh different. totally different species yep <laughs> so that's really funny but there's this moment where they where they go around the party and they give you these shots of all the people and it doesn't come back like it is not important to the plot at ever it's it's just at ever at all it's not important to the plot at all. And they give you this look into like, yeah, this office is just it's like just any an office. Awkward office party. You see them being like, oh man, I wonder if we get overtime. And this guy just goes, I'm an intern. And they're like, okay. And he goes, I don't qualify for overtime. <laughs> and then they cut to this man and a woman who are sitting in front of like a giant screen of this poor woman being attacked Dana by a like, zombie. Mauled, yeah. yeah, Dana. She's being mauled by a zombie. And he's like, so I heard you like the ballet. I got two tickets. And before he can answer, she walks away and he goes, two tickets to your favorite ballet. Like, it's yeah. so... <laughs> yeah. There's just so many good moments of being like, so this office is just a regular office. Yeah. But they're murdering people. Except they're orchestrating, potentially. <laughs> it's, just... it's, it's hysterical. <laughs> it's like, it truly hysterical. is. And then, like, you have this constant, like, <sighs> go- cutting back and forth between, yeah. like, the office people mm-hmm. and the cabin people. And then worlds collide. Yeah. And the cabin great. people make their way down. Because Marty's a fucking genius. Because Marty, you thought he was dead. Right. Turns out he's not. And so shit starts hitting the fan when they run down to, like, they get a call on this red phone. They're in the middle of the party. They're like, we did it. Woo! And so it's like, wait, the virgin's still alive. And he was like, oh, she doesn't, like, her death is optional as long as it's last. Mm-hmm. She just has to suffer. And they're like, and right. suffer she did. And he's like, you know, I almost, like, I'm rooting for her. And then he starts waxing poetic. And then someone brings him tequila. And he's like, my lady, tequila. Yes. He also just keeps wistfully looking off and going, would have been better with a merman. Like and he, it comes back. It comes back. It's later. one of my favorite parts. But he just keeps going, oh, I wish it had been a merman. Because like, he bet on the merman. He always bets on the merman. And it never comes it up. It never comes up. And so, like, they have this betting pool. They have a party. And then, like, everything's going wild. They're like, oh, we did it. We avoided Woo-hoo! the end of the world. And, like, intercut with even those moments are weird ritual moments where, yes. like, when Jules dies, mm-hmm. they pull a lever pull in the lever. wall and then blood, like, trickles through stonework and, like, a glass breaks and there's gears and someone, like, they mutter, like, an incantation and he kisses his necklace yep. and then it goes back to normal office shit. Yeah, and it's and just so unsettling because you're like, oh, they're not a regular office, but there is still that intern who doesn't qualify for overtime. Like, <laughs> nope. And he has to split the pot, so I'm coming back oh. to that one later. Oh, my God, it's good. But you also get this just banana pants scene where all of the potential creatures that could have been unleashed on them yeah are let loose but like even before that which is this one of my favorite moments mm-hmm. you get the moment where they're in the um elevator which it's so good <sighs> so like dana and marty are in the elevator i can't believe i remember both their names just now I'm proud. um thank you so they're in the elevator and the elevator is like glass um and it, it goes down and it, it's kind of like the only thing I can compare it to is like the Willy Wonka elevator where it goes side to side and up and down. So they know that they're moving through this weird kind of like almost like a maze. They can't see anything because it's like black outside of their window. 
but slowly every time the elevator stops they're next to another monster and the first one is like terrifying it's like a werewolf that launches itself at dana which comes back <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's like a werewolf launches itself so you're like what the fuck and then you see this creepy ballerina girl with the face the lamprey made face. of teeth oh my god and then you see that creepy puzzle man. He has with, a name, but he's like the Lord of Torture and yeah, pain he's or got something. like saw. So it's just all these really terrifying monsters, and you see all the things that could have happened to them, and you're like, "Fuck, you know what? I I'll take the zombies." To be honest, the Buckners. Yeah, the Buckners. I love it when they're just like, "Oh, he's getting away!" So quick, pump a bunch of stuff to like make him sleep, and he just goes, "Calm down." Here comes the Buckner to save the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he gets attacked, but. Yeah, so that part was amazing. And then you're right. They they fucking unleash all of them. Mm-hmm. All at once. It Every is, single creature. It is that. It's that classic moment of someone hearing a click and the noise and he just goes, shit. And then yep. everything goes wrong. And it's this like beautiful, sterile, not beautiful, but it's this very plain, sterile hallway. Oh. And then these elevator doors of doom open. Just, and then it's oh a bloodbath. Literally blood everywhere like looks like the shining hotel yes. blood yes. like it is you see zombies just like eating guards there's bat there's a giant bat flying around scooping people up somebody gets stabbed by a unicorn oh and the, with the unicorn there's like like fairy music and then he gores someone and then it cuts to another monster they have this like horror music going throughout then yeah when the Unicorn, it's just like, da, 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 da. Yep. but it has that slight horror tinge underneath. Uh-huh. <laughs> they really chef's kiss yeah. on that part. It was very good. Um, yeah, and they keep showing you a mix of like it really happening. So like you're like seeing it, or you're seeing it on like a security camera, yep. and you're watching people just like fucking lose their mind because they know like this sucks. <laughs> uh huh. It is truly wild oh and i have to say i'm really sad i didn't clock the boomer you didn't clock the boomer no. so okay. for anyone who doesn't know kate and i play a lot of left for dead 2 so much like so much and uh we have a we have a discord patreons listen you can join our patreon and be in the mm-hmm. discord we have a discord where we like talk about movies and stuff like that <clears throat> and there was a moment where someone was like oh did you clock the boomer there's gonna be a boomer like there's left for dead characters and i was like I didn't clock it. Like, I didn't see it. And I was really, like, I knew this one thing that I could look for. And since I didn't know the twist, I had my eyes peeled the whole time. I was like, I don't know when this is going to come up. Is it going to be, like, a toy? Like, what's going to show up? And then we get to the fucking park. I'm like, well, if I'm going to see it, it's going to be here. And I didn't. It's in the, like, when all the boxes. So, basically, you were talking about how they're in the elevator and they're yeah, shifting upwards. Yeah, I when they, sc- when they Yeah, away. so they pan away and you see just... Like dozens of boxes yeah. full of monsters. The boomer is like middle Damn to the right hand side. I yeah. looked all around. He's in just that standing moment. there, like whoop. Oh, can't believe I missed the boomer. Yeah. Damn it! I like okay. paused it. I kept like I had it my face inches away from my computer screen, and I like pause, unpause, pause, unpause. <laughs> I was just like, I'm gonna watch it again. I'm gonna find the boomer. I will watch this movie again anytime. Well, obviously I, I will because I, I, it's one of those movies that like you gotta watch once, not knowing anything, mm-hmm. and then you gotta watch it again, to knowing be like, everything. Okay. Yeah. Also, and this is on me, like, this is a bummer on my part. I had to watch it during the day just because, like, I have been busy during the week and I'm off today. Come on, island time. So I was like, oh, I'll watch it during the day. Like, it'll be good. So I I went, got coffee. I came back. I put the movie on. It's fucking daytime. Why didn't I think of it? So I, I, I had to watch it, like, squinting the whole time. I know I missed a bunch. And it's simply because 
But this movie's very dark. It's a very mm-hmm. dark movie. Most of it happens at night. Right. And for those of you who are like, well, turn up your brightness. My remote doesn't work. <laughs> so cut me some slack. Um, my remote's being weird. It like won't let me do anything other than turn the TV on and off. So I couldn't adjust the brightness. And I was just like watching it with my hands over my eyes. Like, I really wish I could see. Like, I bet this is cool. <laughs> yeah, so like all the important parts, like I still saw it. But I just didn't get the detail on some of the monsters that I really wanted. But it's still very good. But that's on me. So I'd like to watch it again where I can really see <laughs> and really take it all in. Yeah, for sure. Because it, it's great. I, oh my God. Um, One of the things I'm like sure you would have brought up if uh-huh. you hadn't like been watching it during the daytime yeah, during the on daytime. like a, you know, dim TV is that like they very intentionally didn't do shaky cam for like the cabin <gasps> scenes. They like Ooh. really wanted to make sure that like you could tell what was going on and they didn't want it to have a found footage vibe because it's very much not. Because yeah, it's no, very like rigorously it, recorded. Not only that, yeah, it's like it's recorded and mm-hmm. also like, I mean, it's planned. It's not like this yeah. is a surprise. So it's like, why would it be shaky? You know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. They know they're ready. Yeah. It's about like oh, control and voyeurism and like right. all of these things and like, the level of surveillance to me was just really fascinating. It was wild. Because, like, you have – so these two people, Holden and Dana, are – like, they go into their rooms when they get to the cabin, and Holden oh, sees yeah. this painting on the wall, and it's, like, this gruesome painting. He's like, um, I think not. Yeah. And takes it down, and then he sees that it is a one-way mirror – or a one-way window into Dana's room. Right. And Dana's primping in front of the mirror. And then she starts to take her shirt off. And he's like, oh, no, no. And he, like, knocks right. on the wall. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to. No, no, no. <laughs> and so everyone gathers. They look at it. And they're like, well, this is fucking creepy. And so Dana and Holden switch rooms. He's like, I'm sure yeah. this would make you uncomfortable. Like, would you feel better if we switched? Yeah. And she's like, yes, that would make me feel more comfortable. And so you have this moment where, like, they have this surveillance of each other. But they're still, like, keeping boundaries and respecting each other. Right. And then you see her like looking at the thing and then you see her being watched. Yeah. It is it's just really unsettling. Like and and it's so controlled too. That's what's so upsetting, especially the part where like um you know, I don't remember the names. Is it Kurt? Kurt and his his girlfriend Jules. Jules. Okay, mm-hmm. so they go off and you know, they were probably already going to hook up. They had been talking about it like, "Oh, we're going to hook up at the cabin." Like it became this like running joke between all of them. But they needed it to happen, like mm-hmm. the, the people controlling. Like, she had to show it. tits in order for the gods to be appeased. Right. So they were like, we got to like make this happen. So you see like they were probably already going to do this, but because they needed it so bad, they were like, okay, control the temperature. She said she's chilly. Uh, okay. She said it's too dark and they, they brighten the lights in the woods. Mm-hmm. They are like, oh, well, they're not really feeling it. Quick, do pheromones. Mm-hmm. And they pump pheromones into the woods. It is wild because yep. you're like, they probably already would have hooked up, but it wouldn't have been to the standards that they needed. So they had to do so many things. Yep. Oh my God. It was and then wild. It's also like playing into the refusal of like fitting into these tropes and archetypes. Right. And then there's this moment where like Jules is gone. She has been beheaded by one of the Bruckners. They have oh, this awful. big old dull rusty saw and they cut her head off. Yeah. And so... Mm-hmm. Kurt escapes and he gets back into the cabin mm-hmm. and he's covered in blood and they're like, where's Jules? And he's like, Jules is gone. And it's like one of those tropes where it's like, right. they won't say dead. And uh, then he's like, we have to get out of here. We have to go now. 
And yeah. Dana's like, I'm not leaving Jules. She opens the door, zombie there. Right. They manage, like, the zombie basically throws Dana's, uh, Jules' head at her. She sees it, screams, it bounces away. Ugh. Whatever. Gross moment. Gross. But they all manage to together shut the door to keep Elder Bruckner or Buckner the or whatever. Bruck- <laughs> whatever the nurse. Fuck- <laughs> 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 uh, so keeps the zombie out. And then Kurt is like, okay, what we need to do is all stay together. And we're going to go room by room together, lock the doors and windows, and then we'll find a way out or we'll hunker down. We'll make sure we're all safe and together. Right. And so in control, and they're like, oh, that's not going to do. Can't, we can't let him do that. And so he walks through a doorway and they like spray something in his face. And he's like, yeah. guys, this isn't right. We have to split up. <laughs> I love it. And he goes, actually, let's split up. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a really great moment where Dana fucking just goes nuts and stabs a zombie like in the face like a mm-hmm. million times and then they zap her a tiny yep. bit and she drops the knife yep. to be like you did all right put that down mm-hmm. you're done you, you, you got can't it defend yourself right like she can defend you know we don't want her to die mm-hmm. but like stop protecting people we need them to die yep and it's also like it's so back. subtle because yeah. she does drop it and she like never really says anything about it no. she's just like oh yeah it's wild like every single scene is just riddled with either like deconstructed or subverted tropes yes and it I love it. So it's really cool. I, I just, I, I mean, mainly it's so cool just because like I've never seen anything like it. It's weird because it's like you've seen everything like it, but you've just never seen it done like this way. This. Oh, it's. You've never seen a movie so self-aware. Oh my God. I was just, <laughs> I'm going to watch it again. I, I gotta, I ha- maybe I'll do it tonight because I'm truly just like, what the, f- I gotta, what, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was so much to it. Um, And then. All the monsters are loose. We said we would take this back. There's some really great moments. One of the moments is like, everyone's dying. Mm-hmm. Everyone's being attacked by monsters and this. And then the, the one guy is on the floor. Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford. The one who kept wistfully saying, I wish it had been a merman. And then this fucking, you hear like, slap, slap, slap. Like on this like concrete floor. It's like, <laughs> like it's such nasty sloshing so noises. It's so juicy. And you see him kind of squinting, and then the merman just like appears. And what does he say? He says, like, he goes, fucking right. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) Because he's just like, of course. Like, of Uh course, this fucking. my fucking luck. I have waited for this for so long, but not for me. It's the sloshing and the slap, slap. And then the blowhole blood spout. (laughs) He's eating him, and then it, because they even mention, they're like, Oh, you don't want to see the merman. Oh, the cleanup is awful. And you're like, what could the merman do that is so bad? And then there's merman eating him and the blowhole spouts and it's just it's, blood. It's like chunky blood. It's so gross. It's so gross. And, and like, then you're like, well, the cleanup would be awful. Yep. <laughs> and like Lynn and Sittenfeld, I don't remember what his name is. He has a name. Just it's the fact that you knew any of these. I'm like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> Sit- I have his name somewhere. Sitterson hmm. is what I have written down. Maybe it's wrong. I know S-I-T-T is in there. <laughs> Something's there. Something's there. But like they are watching this happen because uh, Bradley Whitford Hadley had been using a machine gun to ward off any monster that came into the control right. room. And their guard, who I'll bring up later, had already exploded himself because he was being set upon. And so like yeah. you see these like last heroic moments. And then right. – Bradley Whitford's character knocked across the fucking room and then the slop, 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 slop. And so these two are like trying to like get the monsters back in the cage base. Like they're trying right. to reset the system. They're trying to do something. Yeah. And they see him die. They see the fountain of blood and like, okay, back to work. And then <laughs> yeah. like the chick, like this eldritch tentacle arm comes just down, like, just like, yoinks her out. <laughs> yoinks her right the fuck up. And they're just like, well, that's done. She's gone. Like, yep. 
it's great that like the guy the the one that's left the the control man mm-hmm. he Said gets something. killed by dana she kills like, him yeah she stabs him and he goes it's you <laughs> yep it's great because it yeah. was just like oh you controlled so much and she still fucking killed you yep Oh, and it's it like this great. weird collision of worlds because they had been so separated the whole time. Yeah, it's like these people exist at arm's length from and us. And they just like it's like they thought they knew them. They were just like, oh, here she is. Oh, of course she did that. Like, and they were partying while she was getting they're partying attacked. while she's getting attacked. And it's just like they had nothing for them. They had nothing but this is my job. I don't care. And like when oh my god, when Jules like takes off her shirt and you do see her boobs, like all the guys are like, ooh, and it's very much like, that's a person, like, stop, don't, and it's just wild how separated they are, like you said, and then yeah. she kills him, and it's like, bye. <laughs> and like the, uh, I think her name is Wendy Lynn, mm-hmm. I'm just sure about the Lynn part, but um, she's like the lady chemist yeah. from uh, chem, from like, chem department, yeah. yeah, from chem department, and there's like this joke about how like chem was the reason that 98 fucked up so bad or whatever, yeah, like, yeah, there's like rivalry between departments, which is why, so basically you have this guy, this guard that comes, and I think his name is Truman, I have mm-hmm. him later in my notes for a tropey reason, um, yeah, Truman, so he's the guy that's new to the office, and he's, like, watching everyone bet, and he's, like, horrified. He's, oh, yes. I remember him. Yeah. Everything is just so callous to him. Yeah. And, like, he will not bet on it. And yeah, so and he's like, no. Lynn is just, like, you know, it's a really hard job. They do it to keep going because this isn't easy to do. Right. And that's pretty early on. And so, like, you try to keep that in mind, but at the same right. time, that's their job. That's, that's what they're choosing to do. And like, that's, like, they're taking glee, and it's just, it's wild. There's a lot going on, and, like, you could also get into, like, you know, all, can anyone consent to a job under capitalism, and, like, Right, things, and also, but, like, I mean, they probably separate themselves, or some of them do, to get through it. Yes. Like, they're like, I separate myself from it, so that mm-hmm. way I can continue doing this horrific thing. Yep. <laughs> Oi. But, yeah. Um, but, and we said we talk about this, too. Um, like we mentioned earlier, they're going through, and, like, every country has a chance to try and do this oh my god the point is is that like if someone fails you have this fail safe of like well everyone's doing it Mm -hmm. and they keep showing like all the countries failing but before that you keep getting glimpses of it's like a classroom of like 20 to 30 like nine-year-old japanese girls like and they're they're being attacked sort of by this like almost kind of like grudge looking Mm. demon kind of ghost thing it's very creepy and you keep cutting back to it every now and then. You see the girls screaming. Then you see the girls kind of like, you know, trying to take care of it. And then finally it cuts back when they when they start to show like everything's failing. Like this is on us now. They cut back and it's all the little girls in a circle holding hands. And the demon thing is in the center just like screaming. And there's two little girls putting like little lotus flowers in a bowl. And they're singing. And then slowly the demon turns into a frog. And they all go, she can live as a frog now. Yay! And the guy gets as close to the TV as he can and just goes, fuck you, fuck you, fuck and you, he, like, fuck you. Pointing out individuals like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. He's pointing at the nine-year-old. And he's like, fuck you, fuck you. And they're like, yeah. how hard is it to kill a nine-year-old? <laughs> and I just, they're holding this frog and they're all like, yay! <laughs> they're oh not even scared. They're just like, she can be a frog now. I love it so that much. That part happened, and I full-on screamed. I was oh, yeah. like, oh, my God. There was another moment that really got me that wasn't, like, wild or humorous. It was just a quick one that I, like, I did my laugh. Where I went, ha, like, super loud. 
in the very beginning when he's like, do you want to come over this weekend? Like, I'm doing this and like, I can do that. I'm going to make my cabinets really shine or something like that. And he goes, are you even listening? And then it just goes, cabin in the woods. Because yeah. <laughs> the guy's like clearly messing with his coffee cup lid. He is so disinterested he in what Bradley Whitford's saying. Doesn't give a shit. He's trying to get his lid on. And it's like, they haven't shown you yet that they're like controlling anything. So you don't know why they're connected. And they're just having this really mundane conversation. He's like, are you even listening? And then, Cabin in the Woods, the title <laughs> pops huge. up. And I was it's like, like, big red letters. I laughed so, I was like, what the fuck? And so it's like, in the content warnings, I put jump scares. Because like, there are a few that are like genuine horror mm-hmm. jump scares. But then there are some that are just like, ugh. You're like, oh, whoa, that was loud. <laughs> that part made me in conclusion, for me, with the horror stuff, is just that, like, it's really funny. And I know we have to do scariest moments, which I, I do mm. have one. But, like, all I gotta say is this movie is it's very scary in mm-hmm. the fact that, like, the things that are there are scary. But fuck, is it funny. Fuck! <laughs> it's, so it's so funny. funny. <laughs> to me, this was, like, a horror movie. It was probably the first one I liked. Because I'd seen a few and I wasn't super into it. But then I oh, saw right. this. And, like, yeah. seeing the deconstruction of the tropes allowed me to, like, see them in other movies. Right. And so, to me, this is, like, a primer. And so, a lot of folks will talk about, because of how intertextual it is, that you will enjoy it most when you've seen a lot of horror movies. Mm-hmm. And so, you understand the pastiche. You understand the homage. Like, you know where these certain scenes are coming yeah. from. Like, the werewolf looks like the werewolf from an American oh, werewolf Oh, in that moment with the blood, that yeah. looks like The Shining. Like, yes, exactly. there's a lot of tiny little moments yeah. where you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. So, it's definitely, like, a movie that is, like, very close to, like, some horror fans. Right. Because this, there was a very divided response to this movie. But I also loved it as, like, the first horror film that I really yeah. enjoyed because it helped me analyze other movies. Right. So, like, if you don't love horror, like, this movie's great because it's... Weird. It's a wild one. And it, and I will say, for as someone who, like, struggles to pay attention, like, you know this because I don't remember names. I don't, I don't do well paying attention to things. That's just how my brain works, unfortunately. I could not take my eyes off the screen. Mm-hmm. I still didn't remember a ton of names. But there was I googled a lot them going all before on. because I was like, <laughs> I just it, my brain doesn't take things in super well. Sometimes it takes a lot of watches for me to like really remember it, um, or I just notice things that like aren't. You're like, what? Why? But this one, I truly was just so glued to it. I couldn't even take my notes. I was like, I can't. Like I'm just so so confused and enthralled in what's happening that I just I like it. <laughs> that was it. I just thought the horror was great, but. I won't say overshadowed by the humor. I will say complimented so well. And that's something that Goddard said in like the interview where Mm -hmm. they were basically like, it's a horror comedy. Yeah. So like, did you find it hard to balance? It's like, that was the hardest part. Oh, Because we wanted to make sure it didn't go into like parody territory. Right. But we also Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that it was funny and that it did like honor these things. But it was also this like the balancing act was very difficult for them writing it. Well, because like I'm there are things like like you said, scary movie. Those movies that like are supposed to be only funny, really. It's hard to be like, we didn't want to do that. Yeah. That is its own thing. We had to do our thing, which is like, this is a horror movie. But fuck, it's really funny. Mm-hmm. Like, so they, oh man, they really, it was like a little balancing act. And they, they did a really good job. Yeah. Because, and we've talked about some funny ones too. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, An American Werewolf in London. Like, yeah, it was funny. Get Out. Get Out, also um, great trying to think um those are the two that really come to mind in terms of like blending comedy and horror really well right they just did a great job of balancing it i will say those are maybe a little bit more horror focused a bit 
mm-hmm. not focused, but like they just they had a really good. They're they're all good. They're all good. But this one did a good job of being like very 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 funny. Where like it's meant to be very funny, and you know that. But the things that are scary are still still kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> they're still pretty un- unsettling. Even though it's like you nervous laugh the whole time. Mm-hmm. The whole time you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, no. <laughs> and it's like the juxtaposition and the like quick cuts from yes. one scene to another is what makes it. Because yeah. it's not just like funny one-liners as you're running away from a no. monster. It's also just like the incongruity of the two things yeah. that are happening side by side. Well, that's it too. Is like this movie isn't just about the content that makes it funny, that makes it the horror. It's the editing. They had to edit so carefully mm. to, like, keep the secret for a while. They had to edit so carefully to, like, give you tiny bits. So that way they don't give it away right away. It was really, really, I I just, good editing is so, you forget, I don't know. You take it for granted sometimes until you see something like this. And then you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yep. This is great. Because it's not just what happens. Sometimes it's just how they cut it that you're like, oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That's what I have on horror. Um, I just I really liked it. Love this movie. I do. Scariest moment? Um, so this one was tough because there's so much going on. I think it's so I have I, I have two. Okay, it's, it's between forgivable. two. Mm-hmm. The first one is really subtle, and that's the reason I didn't want to. I wanted to have another one is because this one's so subtle that I feel like people would be like, really. It's that moment where they they get out of the elevator and the zombie is still like kind of in there and the guard is dead and the tiny hand just like inches its way across the floor and slowly climbs up his face like a spider. Mm-hmm. And then you see it, the doors on the elevator just close before you can see what the hand does. Mm-hmm. That really unsettled me. Yeah. Just because I was like, ew. <laughs> I was like, what's that hand going to do? What that hand do though? I, I was about to say, hey girl, what that hand do? What that hand do though? So... That part was scary, but the part that I think is more, more like classic horror and like actually did like, oh, I don't like that was, um, in one of the deaths, there's a clown (laughs) classic. There's a part where the clown is, um, you see it a few times. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, so you know, it's around Mm -hmm. and they keep giving like certain highlights to certain kills and certain monsters just to be like, this one's really scary. Um, like you see the ballerina girl like three times because she's creepy as fuck. So, of course, you're like, where's this clown? I wonder what the clown does. And then you see one of the security officers shooting it. And it's just taking the shots like nothing. It's just like, oh, whatever. Like, it's getting shot. And it's still smiling. And it just keeps walking closer and closer. And it's laughing. And it's like, (laughs) And then it cuts with its face just really close to the, I hated it. (laughs) It was very, like, an homage to it. It was very much Mm -hmm. like, you know. So that was very unsettling. What about you? What did you... Okay. So they're in the RV and mm-hmm. they have just seen Kurt hit a force field mid-motorcycle oh, jump so and just fall slowly to... Like, just he keeps and bouncing he against keeps the bouncing, force field. Yeah, and you see it, like... And it, it, like, zaps every yep. time. Ugh. And so, like, he was dead probably. Like, if he... Not right away after falling fall. a little bit. Yeah. And Ugh. so, like, they've just witnessed something horrific and just mind-breaking. Yeah. Because they've already seen zombies... They've right. already seen so many like, confusing things, but then they see a force field in midair kill their friend. Right. It's like, what now? <laughs> and so, like, they're in the RV, mm-hmm. and she's like, it's not worth it. Like, why are we even trying? And he's like, I'm driving. She's like, you're going back. And he's like, I'm going through. And she's like, it's not going to work. Can't you see? Everything's set against us. And he was like, she's like, you know, the road will, like, fall, or it'll be blocked, or it'll be drowned out. And he's like, then we'll drive into the woods, and then we'll walk. And she's like, it's not 
gonna work. It's not gonna work. And he's like, I need you to stay with me. I can't like like you can't leave me now. I need you on my side. I need you sane, basically. Yeah. And she's like, okay, okay, I can do oh. this. And then they turn and look at each other, and like there's that like promise of working together. And yeah. then he is stabbed through the throat with like, a sickle or something, yeah, and you realize really... one of the Buckners has been with them the whole time in the oh, RV. Oh God. And then the RV crashes into the water. <laughs> and so it's upsetting. A jump scare, and it's also just like no holding baby. Yeah, I know. It was. Yeah. Oh, that was a rough one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Scary, funny, but so scary. So scary. <laughs> Um, and I know, well, this is tough because this movie is literally made of tropes, mm-hmm. but you said you put, you chose like three specific yeah. ones. Okay. So I have three. Mm-hmm. The last one that I'm going in reverse order for some reason. Yeah. The last one I'll cover is evil is one big happy family. Uh, <laughs> the second to last one I'll cover is brick joke. <laughs> and then the one that I'm starting with, which is actually three in one is the audience surrogate. Okay. But I think that it's actually, uh, the Watson with a hint of Mr. Exposition, but not the audience surrogate. I'm going to dive into those, though. Okay. <laughs> I was so, like, uh-huh, I'm with you. <laughs> TV Trump's listed Truman, the guard guy, mm-hmm. as the audience surrogate, but I think he's actually the Watson. Okay. To avoid is. a Mr. Exposition. So uh, the audience surrogate is the character that has very little character development, no depth, little if any backstory. This allows them to be relatable to the audience, to like allow the audience to place themselves within the action right. as that person. Like, I can see this very empty shell as someone that could contain me. Right. So I'm here step too. In there. Yeah. And so probably was not super intentional in terms of the like being devoid of personality, but Bella Swan from Twilight is an audience surrogate. She's just very <laughs> vaguely you, described like physically. And so that's like, oh, anyone can be Bella, but she also has no fucking personality. I know. They're and really so just like she loves Edward. Yep. There you go. <laughs> So she's broadly understood to be the audience surrogate so that all readers and viewers that want to be railed by Edward or Jacob can see themselves in Bella. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. This is how we get all those horny moms to listen. This is how we get them. We finally cornered the market. Oh, and me. (laughs) I'm here too. I'm here too. Oh, fuck. Continue. I can't. I'll I'll, I'll dwell on this. (laughs) So the audience surrogate can be mistaken for the Watson, which is, you know, I think what happened in this case. So the Watson is the character. (laughs) The Watson is like um, Sherlock and Watson. Okay. I thought maybe, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I never know. So the Watson is the character that asks the questions that the audience is also wondering the answers Uh, to. Okay. So this is for the purpose of exposition and backstory reveal. So in this case, Truman's questions to Hadley and Citizen, the controllers, allow us to learn more without either of them becoming Mr. Exposition. Right. And just, like, randomly spouting off all the background information we need right. to Right, so that yeah. way it's not just like, okay, why are so, you saying this? Like, yeah. through the Watson, you get, like, plot, like, you get a more natural entrance say, into... You get a reason to learn the things. plot and character motives. Yeah. Exactly. That. You That's have cool. a reason for them to be explaining things. Right, and they're not just and, like, wouldn't it be wild if this happened? You know, like, yeah. Turns to camera two and says, Winks. we <laughs> must appease the old ones. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? Okay. Don't look at me. Stop. <laughs> yeah, so they called him the audience surrogate. I think he's the Watson. That makes more sense yeah. to me, yeah. And then we have a brick joke. This is the one I was finishing up my notes earlier and I was just like laughing to myself. I was like, this is a dumb joke. (laughs) I was like, what are you saying? (laughs) What are you reading? The uh, name of the trope, Brick Mm -hmm. Joke, is called that because there's this like really old, weird joke that I was actually quite disappointed by. 
But the idea of a brick joke is where the setup is really early and then it doesn't get resolved until so much later that you've forgotten about it and then you get the punchline. And so then there's like this, wait, what? And then this delayed laughter where, yeah. You're like, remember, okay. Mm -hmm. So I have three examples. We've already covered a few of them. I one know of them, the one. Hadley complains, thinking it'd be cool if the merman had killed yeah. everyone. How does he die? The merman. <laughs> the merman. And then uh, the seemingly one-off joke where the intern is wondering where to put his bet because he tur- it turns out the maintenance had already bet on what he wanted. And he's like turning to Hadley for advice. And he's like, you know, what should I do? And Hadley's like, I truly want nothing more than to be done with the conversation. And it's like snarky and funny. And then he just like yeah. walks away. And so you're like, okay, well, that was the payoff. That was the joke. But then it turns out that the intern did go in on the bet with maintenance and had to split the pot with them. And so then you see him later being <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and then my absolute favorite one, this is what I was cackling over is they're going through and taking the bets from everyone. And they're, like, reading off, like, okay, someone already has that. Okay, like, right. no one's taken that yet. And they open up one and they said, I don't think we have one of those. And they're like, zoology says we do. And then later the unicorn The appears. unicorn! <laughs> I don't think we have that. Oh, and my like, God. zoology says we do. <laughs> zoology says we do. <laughs> that music, I'll never oh. get over. Just like, da 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 Like, <laughs> and just stabs her. Yup. Oh, man. Incredible. And it's like a really low gore. It's like bottom of the stomach, yeah, crotchal region. And the unicorn's just like, nay. Like, <laughs> Blood. So beautiful. <laughs> it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I love it. Okay, and the last one. Oh, Evil is good. one big happy family. The monsters are working together. Oh, yeah. They don't so, attack each other at all. No. And so this trope is basically saying like – um, you know, we see all the good guys on one side and they all like all band together to fight the evil. Right. And then you're like, well, wouldn't the evil people all be like against each other? Like, can't you just divide? No, evil all gets along. <laughs> they can't comprehend good. Everyone on the evil side, they're friends and right. they work together. So basically it's like the monsters come in with like clutch assists. They don't go after the same kills. And I think it's interesting, especially against the backdrop of humans sacrificing each other to mm-hmm. save themselves. Who's the monster? Hmm? Who's the real monster? Who's the real monster? I... That's so funny. Because they don't. They don't attack each other. They don't. They're kind of just like, we know what we're doing. Like, as soon as the doors open, they were like, okay, everyone's put up. Uh-huh. <laughs> we got it. We got to spread the carnage evenly. Oh, and they totally do. And if, and if one of them gets in a little bind, don't worry. Here comes the bat. <laughs> yeah. And there's it's one great. where, like, a creature throws a human and, and this giant thing it. comes up out of the pit. Yeah. They 100% they were just like, I got you, bro. <laughs> I nothing but respect for my monsters. <laughs> nothing but respect for my monsters. <laughs> I do love those monsters. They're so good. I love that the little ballerina girl just kind of dances, and they're just like, "Let her dance!" Like all the monsters are like, "Let her go." <laughs> I don't remember if this is something that I was like feeling when I was watching it, or if it's actually something a character says. But there's this creepy little girl in like a nightgown or something, and she's yeah. singing like a lullaby. Oh yeah, and just slowly walking towards someone she's that's trying to walk away. Doing anything. She's doing she's nothing, just, and I feel like Marty goes, "What the fuck is that?" And then yeah. he keeps going. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> There was that moment where they're in the room with this girl in the nightgown. She's just like, la, la, and she's not doing anything. And so they're just ignoring her. They're just like, okay, well, I can't with that right now. Nope. And you just get that one moment from Marty like, what the fuck? Yep. Oh, God. I, I can't believe I didn't notice that until now. You're right. I love it so much. <laughs> I laughed so hard when she was just kind of like, ooh, just wandering. You don't even see her face. She's just wandering around. And at mm-hmm. first you're like, oh, who's that? That's, that's a monster. What's she doing? Like... 
And then you have Patience Buckner, who lived up to her name. Yes. And just you see her cutting back and forth every now and then where she is one of the first zombies that you see. And yep. she's the one that wrote the journal. And she only has one arm, I think, because yep. they ate the other one. And you also see her when she's creeping up behind Marty outside the yep. cabin. And then he, like, uh, Kurt comes in and then just, like, fucking clotheslines patients. Just like, no! And she just goes down. <laughs> and so then you, like, don't see her again no. for a while. And then... But don't worry. Then she comes down and you see her, like, get out of the elevator. She's so slow. Uh-huh. You see her, like, get... Yeah, she's like, here I come. And then she fucking kills the director. Gordy <laughs> Weaver! And it's great because, like, there's that moment of eye contact between, like, Marty and, oh, God, what's her name? Dana. Dana, of, of Dana. And they're like, oh, here she comes. And they kind of look at each other. And he just slowly rolls, because they're fighting with Sigourney Weaver at this point. Mm-hmm. And he just rolls over so that Sigourney's back. Gets stabbed, to, yeah. <laughs> she just gets stabbed. And lands an axe in the back of her skull. And then, how do they get, oh, and then they push Dana over the edge. <laughs> or not Dana, sorry. That'd yeah. be awful. They push Patience over the edge. Yeah, so the axe is still embedded in Sigourney Weaver's skull. <laughs> and so, like... Patience is holding the axe, and so Sigourney Weaver's, like, laying on the side, and he just kicks her ass, and she tumbles over the side into the chasm. And she's just like, whoops! Yep. (laughs) Just the tumble. So she literally came down, saved him on accident, and then, boop, there she goes. It was incredible. There's so many, like, there's so many things that I want to bring up. I'm like, remember, this joke, truly, we don't have the time. We don't. Because it's so funny. We would go on forever, honestly. This movie just had so much to it. Which is funny, because, like, this is not the longest that we've talked, but we have to stop and like because we will just recap we'll just this entire going, movie. Yeah. There's so much to it that we just have to cut it short. Like yes. it's and it's also just hard to explain. Like I'm sure that someone is listening to this and they're just like, "What? What are you talking about?" So that's why I'm saying seriously, you have to watch it. Go watch it. Don't don't get past the spoilers. Just go watch it and then come back and then all of these jokes will make so much more sense yes. and they'll be so the the fuck you fuck you fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> that part truly set me over the edge i had to i had to just take a moment i took a lap around the house because i was just like i can't this is so good he's yelling at nine-year-olds i love it so yes how are we going to make this movie okay i have one idea <laughs> i have one idea so you know the chain that like elder bruckner buckner why do i keep calling him I, bruckner it's you buckner, say bruckner right? you say buckner and i'm like i don't know which is right like the elder zombie <laughs> The elder zombie. The elder specific zombie. The zombie. Type. Yeah. Uh, he has this bear trap on a chain oh, that yeah. he'll like swing through the air and then throw at <laughs> you and traps. use it to like pull. Back. Mine was airborne bear trap. <laughs> because Ooh, that's he, way better. He throws it through the air and then like pulls people back. Uh, mine was just <laughs> redeemed schoolgirl frog or something. <laughs> a little toad. Now she can live her life happy as a frog. Yay! <laughs> It's like cute. trapped evil spirit in a frog. <laughs> trapped demon frog. That poor little frog. No, I love airborne bear trap. That is so funny. It's got to be airborne bear trap. Okay. Because it's just like swing, swing, swing. Home. <laughs> yep. I hope people enjoy the sound effects we've made. This squelch, squelch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst one. You're welcome, People are everybody. like frowning right now. Just <laughs> like one oh, more no, for everybody. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> we we're can't. done <laughs> can't so yes airborne airborne bear, bear traps. traps i think you go first this time do i mm-hmm. okay oh god okay i think i 
I'm going to give it four and not because I didn't like dislike it or anything, but simply because like, I got to watch it again. Mm. And there's so much that I missed and like couldn't take in. So like, I'm going to give it four airborne bear traps because I'm going to watch it again. This happened with another one we did where Mm. I was like, I love it, but I just want to watch it again and take more in so I can be like, okay, I know I missed stuff. Um, So yeah, I think four, it was, it was so fucking funny, but also the monsters were really well done. Mm. Oh, I actually, um, I think I had a fact about the makeup. Did you? Ooh, I don't, I don't know, know if you knew anything about it. I sure don't. Um, but if, if you didn't, <clears throat> let me look. Um, so the special effect makeup was actually made by horror film actress veteran Heather uh, Langenkamp and her husband, David Leroy Anderson, uh, with their company AFX Studio. Um, they filmed it in British Columbia, blah, blah, blah. But, like, they're just both very famous in the horror community so they were like hell yeah we'll do this makeup so oh, they so did cool. amazing monster makeup for this um so that and it's just that's nice to know that yeah. it wasn't completely cgi like yeah, obviously yeah. you have to with that many things like you're gonna have a lot of cgi the giant vampire bat right but you have some really cool makeup too that is super awesome like the, the zombies mercy was scary mm-hmm. so because of that like i loved the makeup loved the like monster design and creature designs Definitely four. We'll probably be five if I watch it again. But for now, four airborne bear traps. Okay. Because I've seen it five times. Oh my God. <laughs> well, maybe four times. It's definitely between four and five. Probably yeah. four. Uh, I have to give it five airborne bear traps. I Every single time I watch this movie, I find another thing that I find hysterical or insightful yeah. or just weird. I just love it so much. And I feel very lucky that I was like able to see it and then get interested in horror from that. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, this is a very like it's a solid nine total airborne bear traps. Yeah. yeah. And like, listen, it would probably be 10, but I got to clock that boomer and I got to mm. see all the things I missed. I'm going to fix my TV so it's not so dark. Got this. But I think, yeah, the special effects and makeup were really cool. And the story was awesome. If you haven't listened or watched, if you haven't listened, <laughs> do listen. But if you haven't watched, do it. It's oh, so good. Go it. You can rent it for $4.20 on Amazon $4.20. Prime. <laughs> listen, it's you can Marty. watch it for free on Peacock, but you yeah. can spend that sweet $4.20. <laughs> I almost did it just for the 420 joke. And then I was like, you do not have the expenses. (laughs) Relax. I bought it so we could watch it on my Amazon (gasps) Prime. Well, it was $5 on Amazon Prime. So I was like, it's literally like 79 cents more expensive to buy it. There was actually a moment that made me laugh super hard that wasn't part of the movie. I was watching this on Peacock, which has ads. And I was watching it and there was this really dark moment and the zombies like walking towards them. And then it was like, Allstate! It cut to an Allstate commercial so harshly that I laughed like I thought it was part of the movie. I was like, fucking what? I got up and just, I laughed as hard as I did with the fuck you, fuck you. Like, it was just like, zombie, here she comes. It was just like, boom. (laughs) And it was that jaunty like, whoa, here we go. Insurance. Like, (laughs) so no, you know, just know that if you're watching on Peacock, you may get that great experience. Incredible. There are merits to both. Oh, man. If we keep going, we'll never stop. So we'll I never think stop. this will have gotta, to wrap up our discussion. Wrap this up. <laughs> okay. So that's our discussion on The Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Ooh. If you enjoyed your time with us, we would really, really appreciate it if you'd rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. It helps us, like, you know, rise on the rankings, whatever. Yeah. It also just is really nice to read what people say, like, what people enjoy, that sort of thing. Yeah. 
And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Cool With It, where every Wednesday we'll post the movie for the week. And when Nikki reminds me, I'll update it with where you can find it. Because <laughs> I always forget. Literally, the I like I was forgetting too. And then today I found out it was 420. And I was like, well, we gotta put that. We gotta. <laughs> so I was like, okay, do not forget to put where to find it. Mm-mm. It's $4.20. <laughs> And then you can check out our extended show notes on our website, justcoolwithitpod.com, or maybe even take a look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash justcoolwithit. And we'd like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. We love them very, very much. So much. And their names are Kim, Kelly, Nihar, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, and Beth. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. The intro and outro music. Oh, I was going to say you could join our good, good Discord. You could join our good, good Discord. I'm just saying our Discord's great, and every time we talk about our patrons, I'm like, oh, man had more be a crazy score but okay go ahead sorry Mm, how dare you so the intro and outro music was created by anthony raccozella and the cover art is by our very own nikki solomon Ugh. (laughs) yeah every day i try to find a way to respond to you saying my own name (laughs) it's gonna be different every time hopefully different yeah her (laughs) you her (laughs) we gotta get out of here before we We'll do this forever. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. What a good way to end it, just telling everyone, fuck you. Watch the movie. Oh, come watch it. Oh, good call. I hated that. I'm sorry. I said I hate it, but I said.